Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. I'm really delighted to have on today's show, CEO and President of Annandale Village, Adam Pomerantz, and the former chairman of their board, Chuck Lotz. Uh, we've talked a lot about healthcare and customer experience and, and some um, long-term care issues. And I think Annandale, as a nonprofit, is a very interesting case of how to provide great customer service to market and stay true to your mission um, in this intersection of spaces. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Happy to be here. Adam, so start off by telling us about Annandale Village and what you do in your mission. Sure. So Annandale is a residential community for adults with developmental disabilities, specifically intellectual disabilities and or brain injury. We've been there since 1969. We have a very unique concept in the sense that we have a full continuum of care from independent living all the way through skilled nursing care. And there's actually only three of us in the country that provide services to this population in that type of continuum. One here, one in Austin, and one in Chicago. That's it. So we have CEO listeners from very various industries. I would, And we've had a number of what may sound like similar business models on the show before. So we've had Gracie Murphy from Advanced Care Pediatrics, and we've had um, Andy Isaacson that has this household model for um, long-term care for, for seniors. We've had uh, A.G. Rhodes on our show. For people who may not be familiar with the space, help us understand like, where you fit and how you may be different from some of those other facilities that we've, we've had on the show before. Well, Annandale is very unique in the sense that we seem to intersect with several different industries. So we are a, a healthcare company, we're a human services company. We specifically serve one population, and that is the folks with developmental disabilities, intellectual disabilities, or brain injury, but all functioning in a very similar way. And the folks we serve are 18 and up. So there's a lot that's similar to our concept to the continuing care retirement communities in the sense that they often have a full continuum of care and that age in, aging in place concept. But we serve people that are 18 and up and provide that continuum throughout their life. So people who come to live at Annandale will live there the rest of their lives, but may live there 30, 40 years. Hmm. We have people at Annandale that right now have lived there over 40 years. Wow. And so this would be, um, you know, kind of like, a, a, you know, forgive me for the term, and if it's wrong, please correct me, but it's like a nursing home, but the people that you get are in many cases much younger and the reason that they're in um, skilled nursing is because they have a brain injury or some sort of developmental disability. Well, skilled nursing is actually one part of what we do. Okay. So we have we have thirty two we have a thirty two bed skilled nursing facility on the campus, but we also have one hundred and two what's called personal care home beds, where that's divided up over several different buildings that we call cottages or semi independent apartments, as well as a thirty two bed assisted living. So yes, you're correct, but that's only one component. So the folks that are maybe living in one of our semi-independent apartments on the campus, they're possibly working at Kroger, going to the movies frequently, going to the ball games and so forth, and, and also partaking in activities on campus. As they get older or as their needs change, they may progress to our assisted living level of care. Following that, if, they're, if 
their needs continue to progress, then they may go into our nursing home. Great. So what trends do you want to share with the CEOs that are listening to the show today? Well, I think the trend that a lot of us are seeing, especially in the healthcare space, is the challenge to staff our organizations. It's become by far the the most challenging aspect uh, in managing a place like Annandale Village. Right yeah, now. and and Gracie and Andy and and um, Al from <clears throat> AG Roads all talked about that also. Yeah, so we it's not simply about money, uh, but of course there are challenges to that. We are constantly doing market surveys to make sure that our salaries are consistent with the market. Are we completely surpassing the market? No, it's impossible for us to do that. We do try to make it appealing to work at Annandale through a, a generous benefit package. We offer quite a bit of PTO, more than your average healthcare company and human service, definitely more than your typical human services organization. We pride ourselves on the mission and we want people that are invested in the mission. And so often that helps. We also will do an annual raise. Uh, many of the human services organizations don't do that. And interestingly, I usually can tell you how good the economy is based on my staffing. As the economy gets better, my staffing gets more challenging. As the economy gets worse, my sta staffing actually becomes a little easier. <laughs> well, and, and Chuck, you laugh. Why is that? Well, it's, it's, I laugh because it is true. It's very true. As the economy goes, uh, we seem to go in the opposite direction from that standpoint. Mm, why? Why, why well, do, why do people, question. yeah, why, why does your turnover um, increase when the economy gets better? If you look at our, our frontline staff where the average uh, hourly rate is about $10 an hour, when the economy is booming, there's usually better opportunities for those folks mm -hmm. as far as financially, just simply looking at that hourly rate. When, when the economy starts to take a turn, those, those opportunities seem to disappear. And if you think about the last recess, recession and you listen to business radio or some of the other talk shows, they'll, one of the first things they talked about were some of those lower level positions. They talked also about high school uh, employment and college employment, summer jobs disappearing from the recession. As people lost jobs that maybe made $15, $20 an hour, they were taking those jobs that were offering $10 an hour. So once again, we try to make it appealing and try to keep some of those people. Our, our turnover rate isn't incredibly impressive in that first year. And I think there's a few reasons for that. When you if, say it's not impressive, you mean it's high? It's high. Okay. It's high for that first year. But I think some of that is, is people finding that, that this may not be the right fit for them. It's not easy to care for adults with developmental disabilities or brain injury. Uh, it can be incredibly rewarding. And it's, in my opinion, a wonderful job, but it's not for everybody. However, if People make it a year. Our turnover rate becomes very impressive. It drops. And if they make it two years, then people stay. I have so many employees that have been there over five years, several employees over 10 years. I've got a handful over 20 years. I've got two over 30. So um, then the mission takes over, I think. And once again, because we offer an annual valuation and an annual raise, I think we start to get a little above market for some of the people that have been there longer, mm. which is good for retention. So for the part of your, your business that intersects with, with healthcare, um, there's a lot that's been happening in, in that world. Are you being affected by any of the changes that are happening in, that, in the healthcare industry right now? Interestingly, we just had a board retreat 
and we asked our, our auditor, excuse me, our auditor to come in and give a presentation on governance and risk. And one of the things that he talked about was our nursing home revenue, that it's become, it's become a significant percentage of our overall revenue. That being said, about 80% of the nursing home revenue is nursing home Medicaid. So as these different healthcare bills have been bandied about in Congress, uh, all of them I so like that. Bandied <laughs> about. <laughs> all of them so far um, appear to cut Medicaid uh, fairly significantly. So that would leave the state legislatures and the governors with some difficult decisions to make. And nursing home Medicaid could, could get cut. Now, Annandale has a unique business model outside of the nursing home in the sense that we're a private pay organization. Our founders, who Chuck knew, and unfortunately I never met, but they wanted us to be an affordable private organization. So they set up a model where about 75 to 80% of the cost is reflected in the fees that the family pays while we go to the philanthropic community for the other 20 to 25%. So some of the most of the things talked about in regard to the changes coming in healthcare or the changes that have come in healthcare don't necessarily impact us in that regard uh, it is a little more expensive to employ people um, so that there are, there are some challenges there but the economy of course would affect our ability to fundraise but but otherwise the the changes that have been discussed in congress and the changes that have come relating to healthcare are will only affect us probably in that, in that nursing home space. So you mentioned that this is not, that it's not an insignificant part of your P&L. So I'm very intrigued as a CEO. First of all, I think it's amazing that you had this conversation about governance and risk and you, you have it, you're having it early. So, I mean, that alone, I think is um, a good message for the, the other CEOs who are listening to the show. So, you know, you're sitting here kind of potentially anticipating what could be a cut to a significant portion of your P&L. What are your thoughts on what you're going to do? So, you know, let's say something happens and you do le- lose that revenue. How are you thinking about what you're going to do to mitigate that risk? This is fairly new. We just had that last <laughs> month, that meeting, but we... we Which is why it's real, right? I love that. Right, yes. So mm-hmm. what we've done this year in our budget process is we've, we've set up some if-then equations, if you will, in our mm-hmm. budget. So there are aspects of our budget that we think we can cut back if need be. And we also hope that um, we'll have some lead time. You know, one legislation would have to be passed. Uh, so right now that's, that's been unsuccessful. Um, Good luck. It'll take a while. It could, it could. And right now the focus is, is tax reform, which... Um, we thought that that was going to happen months ago, and it keeps coming back, though. So yes, I mean, but it's going to take a while. Well, they missed a deadline to do it without to do it through the reconciliation. They process. still have, I think, twelve hours, yeah, maybe like <laughs> thirty six so hours. They have till midnight like that. tonight. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we record have, on Fridays, listeners. So we have some value added services, if you will, in our nursing home that we would have to think about. Unfortunately, we feel really good about the services we provide in our nursing home. Our nursing home from 2010 till this last year is a five-star nursing home. Mm. Uh, and there's a, it's just a great level of care that we offer. Our nursing ratios are great. Our CNA ratios are great. 
Um, but we would have to look at all those types of things. What are your thoughts, Chuck, on, on if that portion of the, the revenue starts to get pressure? Well, how do you mitigate the risk? How do you mitigate it is by raising more money from the private sector, if you mm. will, it means more of a load to our our supporters, if you will. That's the, the that's the only way it's going to happen. We're fairly lean. I'm sorry, Chuck. No, go ahead. We're fairly lean administratively, but we we would look there first before we had touched anything clinical and then mm-hmm. like chuck said that that is the advantage i think of a nonprofit is that we can go to the philanthropic community as long as we don't fatigue our donors mm-hmm. which is something we've been talking about lately right you can you can that can happen that's dangerous for us mm-hmm. and and so this i think this is you know fascinating you know how do ceos you deal with kind of high pressure situations and um and really, you know, think it through and, and execute. How much lead time does it take to execute something like that? How much, you know, how much planning and how much work does it take? I think we would need a year at least. I, I think mm-hmm. the, um, we're also talking about unknowns. So I don't know what that means. What, you know, when they say, look out for Medicaid cuts to nursing home, Medicaid specifically, does that mean... 10%, does that mean 20%? Does right. it mean a different process and approvals? Does it mean uh, just a direct cut? Does it mean they're going to do the cost reporting process differently? We just have to wait and see. Mm. I think we, you know, when we were doing our um, early discussions, we talked something around like marketing and how you can reach out to those donors to mitigate the risk and kind of um, bolster uh, your the top line of your PL. Um, what are some of the things that you might undertake or that you are undertaking there that you think can help? Well, most of our donations come from two areas. One demographically, they come from the families of our, our folks mm-hmm. or people connected to their to the the villager. And the let me mention that the people we serve uh, refer to themselves as villagers uh. at Annandale. So you'll hear me use that term. Uh, so and then geographically much of the donations comes from Gwinnett County and the area right around, right around uh, Swanee and, and Annandale. Uh, we hope to expand that. We actually represent about 34, I think it's 34 states. We have villagers wow. from 34 different states. So we believe there's opportunities to expand our fundraising reach. Uh, we also don't feel that we are as connected in the uh, Atlanta proper community as we would like to. Now, we are, interestingly, with some of the foundations when we've done capital projects, we have uh, generous support from some of the larger and well-known foundations in, in Atlanta. But from individual donors and also uh, the business community, we, we know we can do better. Great. Great. Well, thank you for that. And um, so I want to turn the conversation to, to talk about like, the thing that you mentioned at the beginning, which is how you build a cohesive team and you know, Chuck's been around for for over 40 years, uh, which is amazing. Um, and so uh, tell us your best recommendation for CEOs listening to the show about how to build a cohesive team that can keep people around for 30 years, even though there may be, let's say, better paying jobs, right? When the recession goes away, there may be better paying jobs, and yet you're able to keep people there for 30 years. How, how do you do that? Well, I think the main 
way to do it is to have integrity. And this is where Chuck comes in. So I was hired in 2004. I was 35 years old. I had been a department head, uh, director in behavioral health hospitals. So this was my first time to be a CEO. And Chuck actually set the tone with the standards, the standards that dictated the decisions that we would make or actually provided the guidance for the decisions we would make would be a better word. So we do the right thing for the right reason. So the staff at Annandale can feel very comfortable that the decisions we make are with the villager and their family at the forefront of our minds. So sometimes those are challenging decisions. Sometimes financially, they're very difficult decisions, Mm -hmm. but we have integrity. We do the right thing. Sometimes our policies and procedures had left out a certain scenario that comes up. And at my first few years, I was, Chuck was very involved with me and was available quite a bit. And we would talk about these issues on the phone and he would often end the conversation with, well, that's the right thing to do. And so I think because I had that guidance from someone like Chuck, who uh, was very well respected, it is very well respected at Andale among our families, among the community, among the staff, reminding me this is the right thing to do. Sometimes the the effect on the bottom line doesn't tell you what the right thing to do is. And so... Uh, sometimes I, it was a little scary, too. Sometimes mm-hmm. it was scary. So, uh, and, and on that same note, we also, those same standards lead to parting ways with, with staff, too, that don't, that don't follow that. Very often, managers. If you bring in a manager who can't do that, then we find out pretty quickly they don't fit in with the culture and, and we part ways. And I think that keeps your other staff in, engaged and um, a cheerleader for your organization. Yeah. What about you, Chuck? What's, what do you think is the, the most important factor in, in having you have this culture that keeps people around? Um, honesty, integrity of the, the staff, uh, just a, well, how you could say it, comfort level that they are doing something very worthwhile. So one of the things that's an important um, guiding principle for my show is that we unpack big words, right? So integrity Mm -hmm. and honesty are big, big words. Mm -hmm. I would love if you can kind of tease that out. And in particular, one of the things I observe, you know, we're, we're talking about a lot behind the scenes on the show is that the most important thing that most of the CEOs discuss on the show in terms of instituting these, you know, big concepts is modeling the behavior, right? Like, so when people see you act with integrity, it doesn't matter, like, how much you talk about it. If, if people see you modeling the behavior, then they're going to do it. And if they see you not modeling it, they're not going to do it. So can you give an example of maybe where it wasn't straightforward, what the integrous you know, answer was and, you know, making that decision, even though it was difficult. Let me think about that for a second, but I I will say for us, and I talk about this with every orientation group when I talk about integrity is that it's doing what you say you're going to do. That's how we define it at Anadale. Mm. So we say at the top of our value sheet is that the villagers and their family, I know this sounds somewhat redundant, come first in everything that we do. So then you're then hit with these challenging dilemmas that could come up where a villager becomes, we admit a village. One of, for example, we don't admit folks that have a history of aggression. That's something that we're just not equipped to do. Our setup is not, is not uh, conducive 
to helping those folks. And there are a couple other organizations around that can, and we'll often refer to them. But sometimes no one knew that the person would be aggressive in our type of setting. So now we have admitted someone who a month or two into their care at Annandale um, starts to become aggressive. So at that point, we don't simply discharge because once again, we said the villager and their families are the first, are, are our priority. And that specific villager and that family have entrusted us to care for them. So we try, we put tons of resources into trying to help this person and maybe treat that aggression so that it, it goes away. It's, it's extinguished, to use a, beha- a behavioral term. And some of the staff sometimes will say, well, wait a minute, we have a, we have a policy. We don't take people with aggression. Yes, that's true. We don't at the outset. But once we do take someone, before we make that very difficult decision of discharging somebody, we will put everything we can into that person and that family to try and keep that villager. And then sadly, sometimes you can't. And so where does that line get drawn is is challenging. But I think what happens is the staff who are advocating for that villager, which you always have a group that are advocating that say, well, wait a minute, this aggression is pretty mild. They think we can handle it. To some staff, they're saying, hey, we have a really, we have a policy. There's no, we don't, we don't serve people that are aggressive. So I think both groups, both teams see that from an administrative standpoint, that we are committed to that villager. We're committed to the other villagers to keep them safe. We're committed to the staff, but we're going to go through a a thorough due diligence process before we, before we discharge. And I think that sends, sends the message. That's a clinical, what I would call a clinical intervention, human resources perspective. You know, we have set hours, we have all these types of things, but then we'll have an employee come to us and say, listen, I really want to go back to school. The only problem is I can't be here on Wednesdays anymore. And I work Monday through Friday. Well, what can you do? Well, I can, I can come in on Saturdays, half a day on Saturday, half a day on Sunday. Say, well, that's going to be a long week for you. Are you sure that's something? Yes. This is for one semester I can do. And so we'll make those, those adjustments. And you know, that's another value on our value sheet that says that we are going to work with the employees. We're going to take care of the employees. We value the employees. And so there's an example of us proving to the employee that, that we would do that. I, I also liked integrity. It, I think it's, you know, forgive me, but I think it's very difficult, you know, core value to have because nobody has integrity all the time. I don't care who you are, right? <laughs> um And so what do you do when people, you know, fall short? Like, you know, how do you remediate? Because once again, in the world of modeling, if people see that you are not being integrous and you either tolerate it or, you know, God forbid it's somebody on your leadership team and people are afraid to like, you know, hold that person accountable, then it kind of persists and it becomes a little, you know, kind of virus in the system. How do you approach that? I think we're, that's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. We, the old, saying is, you know, hire slowly, fire quickly. Um, I don't think we're necessarily good at firing quickly unless there's something that, that puts the villagers at risk. Uh, then, then we're very good at that. We attempt to mitigate, I guess, those issues uh, by training and, and, and reminding people of our values. And interestingly, the culture will push sometimes that person out if it's a person issue, an employee issue, not being not having the integrity. Uh, and then, of course, we, we will part ways. As far as the care, w- one of the, 
it's, I didn't really anticipate today referring to our value sheet so, so often, but one of the things on there basically says that we, if we make a mistake, we're going to own it. We're going to own it. We're going to tell the family mm. we made a mistake. We're not going to try and get around it. And, uh, and that we won't make, you know, we're going to do everything in our power not to make that mistake again. You know, we had a situation a, a few months back where one of our uh, villagers was having a colonoscopy in the morning. The mother is 78 years old. She lives down in Florida. She wanted to take her daughter to the colonoscopy. So the 78-year-old woman drives up from South Florida, gets in a hotel room the night before, comes in the morning to take her daughter to, to get her colonoscopy. Unfortunately, the, um, it wasn't clear to the staff that came on in the morning. And so the villager said, you know, I'm starving. And she said, oh, well, here's your breakfast. Oh, man. And so, um, <laughs> so we had to sit down with that mother and say, we are sorry. We, we just, there's no good excuse. We made a mistake. We didn't communicate effectively with each other. And so your daughter um, got, have her her, got her breakfast and she can't have her colonoscopy <laughs> today. Yeah. And I know you drove up just for this. And so we are, uh, we're doing everything we can to get another one rescheduled. And we would, we promise you that won't happen again, but we don't beat around the bush. We, when we make a mistake, we own up to your mistake. Yeah. yeah. Right. So and, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, and I think that's part of integrity. Yeah, of course. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Equifax, right? Like yeah. they had, they had oh. that reach for six weeks. This is an, an important examination because the, the culture thing, right? The core values, interestingly enough, you know, over the course of the past two and a half years have come up pretty much on every show. Because, you know, all of the CEOs say that that's what makes our teams work. Um, and so, you know, with regard to the, the not hiding mistakes, I think I've always had this question. How do you create an environment that is safe enough for people to be willing to own up to their mistakes? Because most people hide mistakes because they're afraid of being punished. So, you know, how, and, but then people continue to make mistakes if there are no consequences. So how do you navigate that? It's challenging as well. We just had a discussion yesterday. We had um, an employee, a valued employee, um, who didn't follow procedure. And so the question was, all right, what do we do? Do we do, we make, uh, do, we do a counseling session, a personnel action, or do we do a training? Or do we do both? Or do, so we, we, we debated it. And we, we, this made it up to the senior management level, even though we have 157 employees, because you heard about it, right? So yeah, we, and we wanted to discuss, you know, what is the best way we wanted to we want to keep this employee, but we have a responsibility to make sure she's trained accordingly. And then we also we have regulatory bodies that could come in if one of these issues pop up and say, well, why did this happen? But we don't see any trail about what you did with the employee. Mm -hmm. So we had to balance all that. And I, this may sound like a cop, but I, I we spend a lot of time going over those decisions and trying to make the best decision that we can at that moment. It's not a cop-out at all. I mean, this is the discernment that has great leadership emerge, I think. I and, think. And we decided yesterday, we started off the discussion saying, you know, I think a training is just appropriate. Let's just do it. We have a documented training. And then one person said, you know, I hate to be the devil's advocate here, but let me explain why I think a personnel action is more appropriate. It doesn't have to be, you know, a written warning per se. It could be the first level, which is counseling. But this is why, and we, we, you know, discussed that. We went back and forth, and that's what we decided to do. Mm. And hopefully the employee will learn from it, and, we're, you know, we're accompanying it with training, and, and the issue will be resolved. Chuck, I would love to hear your perspective over the 40 years that you've, you've uh, been involved with the Annandale Village. 
how do you, how are you seeing these values emerge and 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 really instilling them in the people and correcting when they when things don't necessarily go well, where you, you like again you have to be true to yourself and i i believe adam has articulated that quite well this morning just be honest with yourself um be honest with your villager be honest with your you have to be and with an organization such as annandale if you aren't, it, it's not going to last. So, Adam, I would love to hear, is there anything new and exciting that's happening at, at Annandale that you want to share with the CEOs that are listening to the show? You know, when's your next fundraiser? Oh, it's funny you ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help. <laughs> so November 4th, we have a 5K run at Swanee Town Center. You can go to our website, annandale.org, and find out more information about it. But uh, it's a great it's a great fundraiser. Tons of the villages are out there. Uh, we actually do what we call an extra mile where after the fundraiser, a whole group of our villagers and families and so forth walk around the Swanee Town Center. It's a great event. And once again, you know that when you're donating money to Annandale, that you're supporting this very unique cause and unique business model to keep fees affordable to families so that they can get the services they need for their loved one uh, without utilizing necessarily government funds and so forth. So we have, um, we have that 5K. We also have our annual campaign. And then, this is far in advance, but we for 30 years, we've been doing a huge fundraiser in the spring called Jazzy Thing. And it moves locations throughout Gwinnett. It's been outside for the last few years. It'll be in downtown Duluth on April 21st this year. It's a casual event. I will tell you, when I first came to Andale and I went around and spoke to civic organizations, there were a few people that said to me, they looked at me with this odd look and they said, oh, I know who Annandale is. That's Jazzy. I go to Jazzy every year. They knew the event before they knew Annandale. Yeah. And they said, that's the one I could wear jeans to or I could wear shorts to. And I said, that's exactly right. So it's a, we get about a thousand people there every year. And, um, and it's, a, it's very important to Annandale. Wonderful. And if people want to find out more about Annandale Village or get in touch with you to ask about anything that they've heard, how can they do that? Once again, they can go to the website. Uh, my email is available, I believe, on there. They can call us. All the information you need is, is on our website. There's, uh, if, you, if you have a loved one who has a developmental disability or intellectual disability and you're looking for services, by all means, you can use the website, which will, you can either call or there's a, um, a process on the website where you can ask your question and, and someone will get back in touch with you. Wonderful. And the website is very well done, annandale.org. We've spent a lot of time remodeling it several times. And it is an all-inclusive, very informative website. Great. Well, thanks. Go can, ahead. Can I mention one other thing? Oh, yeah, of course. So in some ways, my job is challenging and difficult, and, and sometimes there's long hours. Uh, but um, in many ways, it's easy due to the 40 plus years before me of times when they couldn't afford uh, a whole management team and the board themselves were running Annandale mm. and people mm -hmm. like Chuck were coming out and do, and having six, seven hour board meetings. And one board member was assigned to do the finances and writing payroll checks and, and so forth. All these things that happened in the late seventies and eighties and you uh, do what you have to do. Yeah. And, and so when there was times of, of institutional significance um, under Chuck's leadership, and Annandale prevailed, and um, and now consistently provides 
services and a home to about 107, or actually, if you include everyone who's in our care, 190 folks with developmental disabilities, thanks to those efforts of all the board members and people before me. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for being on the show. Um, listeners, we've been talking to Anna Dale Village, their um, chairman emeritus, uh, Chuck Lotz, and their president and CEO, Adam Pomerantz. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you very much. And once again, you've been listening to CEO Exclusive, where you get emerging trends from CEOs and their trusted advisors. My, uh, my name is Soyini Koch, and I hope you have a prosperous, productive, and very profitable week. Thanks. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.